It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. Ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short the routes. Boys are back. Baby. Excellent separation against man coverage. This is reception. Perception. The show. Yo, what's cracking, everybody? James Coe, Matt Harmon here with you. You're listening to Reception Perception, the show. All right, Matt. Let's get right into it. Um, as we are, ah, golly, about a week and a half away from the Super Bowl here. Uh, but Senior Bowl is raging, um, and, and the takes are flying. Uh, fast and furious. Uh, the, the takes are hot right now coming out of Senior Bowl. People are loving what they're seeing. Yeah, and look, kind of got a love-hate relationship with this stuff because, one, I, I'm jealous that I'm not there, and I'm jealous that I've actually <laughs> never – I've never been to the Senior Bowl. Uh, I've always wanted to go. I've always actually – I mean, I've never been there. I've never been to the Combine. Now people go to the Shrine Bowl and say it's a great experience. Right. Uh, Shout-out to Eric Galco, one of my many former bosses uh, in the business running the Shrine Bowl. But, um, yeah, I, I've I'm, that's my number one thing is I'm, I'm jealous, you know, that I've, I've never been. So take that. Uh, take everything that I'm about to say is with, you know, the grain of salt here. It's just always tough. Like when we're judging receivers in one-on-one drills and it's like, man, this yeah. guy's cutting folks up. It's great routes and all that stuff. I, I always go back to the Braxton Miller example um, as a guy that was, you know, taking five seconds to set up these routes. You convert a quarterback from Ohio State, setting up like five seconds to set up these routes and all this stuff uh, and getting separation, cutting these guys up. It's like, okay, five seconds. <laughs> that quarterback's already been sacked or he's twice. gotten rid of the ball he's, twice, twice actually <laughs> he's actually been sacked twice and or thrown two passes to two right. other guys Correct. that actually got open yes, so yes, that's yes. obviously an extreme example but it's just always a word of caution when we're seeing these clips you know get thrown around on the timeline um just always be careful of it and of, of course like for judging guys as route runners we got to go back to you know we got to go back to the tape uh as always Okay, I love it. We're going to break down uh, three wide receivers, an early look that Matt has uh, done on some of these dudes. LSU receiver Brian Thomas, Georgia receiver Lad McConkie, uh, and FSU receiver Keon Coleman. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the show, but I want to start off uh, by talking about some of these coaching maneuvers that uh, that have been happening uh, you talk about faster fears, my goodness. Uh, the dominoes are falling, my friend. Arthur Smith goes to the Steelers. Uh, <laughs> and the funny thing about this is my guy, Matt Harmon, is literally the only person in the world who actually likes this move. Explain yourself, Matt Harmon. Yeah, the world's uh, <laughs> foremost and perhaps only Arthur Smith defender the has, only has one. logged on. Oh, has, my goodness. Has logged in. But, okay. Look, there's a lot uh, to kind of parse out here with the Arthur okay. Smith stuff. Number one, I am not going to come out here and defend his tenure with the Atlanta Falcons uh, as okay, the head good. coach. Okay? <laughs> like, as I said many times on this show and in various other places, Arthur Smith, he lost the plot with that offense is, is the phrase yeah. I always come back to. Um, he clearly to me, proved that he right now and maybe never will be, he, he just wasn't ready for the big chair. Some guys yeah. just aren't ready for that chair. They're very mm-hmm. good at the job that they have, but they, they're not equipped to be a head coach for a variety of reasons. And I think that the way that Arthur Smith um, conducted himself in public at times made it very clear <laughs> that he was not ready for yeah. the attention right. and Correct. the scrutiny and everything that comes with being in the big chair, being the head coach. All that being said, I will go to my grave, perhaps, saying that, number one, there were really good ideas in this Atlanta Falcons offense. Like I said, I think this past year especially, he definitely lost the plot. Like, the run game went to sh- went to hell. You know, uh, the the offensive line, the, pa- the it, w- it was all bad. You know, he got himself in like a brain pretzel defending Desmond Ritter and then benching Desmond Ritter and all that stuff that comes with, again, being in the big chair. But, <laughs> right. like, the Pittsburgh Steelers didn't hire Arthur Smith to be the head coach. Like, 
I think he's perfectly paired up with a guy in Mike Tomlin to be reminiscent of Mike Vrabel, who mm. was a strong-willed head coach who could say to Arthur, look, buddy, we have good players. We get the ball to the good players. So all this good scheming, which, again, like people that break down and like – Arthur Smith does, deserves the hate, okay? Like, he deserves yeah. some of the criticism. He made himself an easy target, and I get that. But I'm telling you, the listeners out there, the viewers, the listeners, whatever, most of the people that are dunking on Arthur Smith are only dunking on it because of the results. They are not dunking on it because of the process, and they are only thinking about results. And I want you guys and girls and people and whatever to be focused on process and really... <laughs> scrutinize the people that you listen to, okay? okay? That's all I'm saying because there were times, especially in 2022, where Arthur Smith was doing good things. And by the way, he was doing good things that are right in line with what we want out of NFL offenses today. We want teams that run the ball well, that can be physical, yeah, that control right. the game. We want teams with versatile players that line up in a variety of linemen. They had that too. And they want we want teams to dominate the middle of the field. I mean, James, how much have you and I been complaining about the Steelers' offense with Matt Canner for years? Like, they don't utilize the middle of the field. Right. That's where Arthur Smith's offense is is at its best is these big over routes, stuff that people have been – I mean, the people on Twitter who are dying in the desert, thirsty, uh, starving <laughs> for a George Pickens dig route, yeah. you know where you're going to get it? You're going to get it in Arthur Smith's <laughs> offense, baby, so get ready for that. Okay. And my last okay. point here b- b- before before you, you, know, you, take, give, you take it back here, like – we were our biggest complaint or our, we, the Royal we's biggest complaint about Arthur Smith's offense in Atlanta was that he didn't get the ball to his good players, buddy. Right. That is all the Tennessee Titans did when Arthur Smith was the offensive coordinator. Derrick Henry had 300 carries in 2019 and 2020. No right. other running back had more than 54. Deion Lewis in 2019 had 54 carries. Nobody else in 2020 cleared 50. Okay. Um, in 2020, Corey Davis and AJ Brown combined for just shy of 200 targets. Nobody else had more than 65. Okay. They funneled the ball to the good players. And I think that is because they had a guy in Mike Frabel who could say to yeah. Arthur, look, these are our good players. We get the ball to our good players. Correct. Let's, let's go to work. And I feel like that's what we have here in Pittsburgh. So I don't know if this is going to work out. If Arthur Smith is going to take the Steelers to glory, like they obviously have to figure out the damn quarterback position first and yeah. foremost. And yeah. Ryan Tannehill is not the solution. So please don't say that. Like, you oh, he's going to dial up Ryan there, Tannehill. Though. You know he's going there, though. So just, I mean, like, there's, they have things to figure out, but I don't oh think this God. is like some ridiculous hire that every goofball you follow on Twitter is going to call it. You know what's so funny? I uh, so again, I, I I started this by saying you're the only man in America. You're the only person in the world who liked this hire. Now I I'm not fully there uh, with liking the hire, but I am halfway there in not hating the hire. Uh, I agree with you. I think the hate has probably gone a little bit overboard because I I, I am in the uh, I am in your school. I've listened to you enough. We've done enough shows where I'm like, all right, Arthur Smith has designed sorry. a good offense. <laughs> sorry, I, I I legitimately am sorry. <laughs> where I'm like, all right, the 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 foundation might be good. The decision making is bad. Luckily, the decision making maybe you know taken out of his hands here somewhat and again I, I think the brain trust to your point of Mike Tomlin with Arthur Smith is really intriguing because I think Mike Tomlin has has certainly shown in his career uh, that he likes to get his the ball out to his playmakers um, in bulk right and, and there's not again we, we saw Allen Robinson go there and play in the slot the man never touched the football Right, nope. because again, it was just Pickens and mostly Deontay Johnson just getting that ball over and over and over again. So, uh, and, and also, I think about the the running back history under Mike Tomlin. He has been a, I mean, for the most part of his career, he's been a kingmaker when we're talking about running backs, uh, finding ways to get them the ball, finding them, putting them in advantageous situations, even when he has very different running backs. He's been able to get the best out of his running backs. Like if you think about, uh, you know, someone like um, uh, somebody like uh, I was going to say LaDainian Tomlinson, not LaDainian, Le'Veon Bell, who I compared to LaDainian Tomlinson when I was at NFL Network. Uh, but Le'Veon Bell, such a different runner. 
than some of the other running backs that he has had. So I, I think he's been able to work with a lot of different running backs and turn them into superstars. And then you combine that with what um, Arthur Smith has been able to do, I think, for the Falcons in terms of the running back position. I'm actually intrigued. I am actually intrigued uh, by what we might see from Najee Harris um, and Jalen Warren next year. Now, that being said, I think if you were just waiting for a full-on Jalen Warren revival, I I don't think we're going to get that. I don't think we're going to get that uh, when we're talking about the running back room there in Pittsburgh. But I I am with you. I'm not fully there, Matt, but I am intrigued. I am intrigued by what we may get in Pittsburgh with Arthur Smith. And I know this, we're not going to get all these damn bubble screens (laughs) to the wide receivers. So uh, of that, I am very excited. It's just funny because if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, you've come, you've been with us for years complaining about Matt Canada's offense and right. and how you know we've talked about it on the show. Those route concepts made no sense together, right? Like mm-hmm. that that was the, it wasn't even just annoying that like oh my god, all George Pickens does is run vertical routes, which was super annoying. But it's like he's running a vertical route for no purpose. Okay, he's just he's just over there at the X ISO spot running a corner route, running a go route clearing out nothing clearing out like a drag for the guy on the other side of the field which (laughs) it just doesn't do anything right like yeah exactly right it doesn't build off of a guy who's next to him in the slot it it doesn't make any sense like okay you know he's running he's running a he's running a, a a deep corner out a deep nine route and like the guy from the slot there isn't running like a big out route that he's cleared out things for, or like a he's in the slot running a, a go route and the, the, the dig routes coming underneath. And that dig route is wide open because he's cleared the safety. No, it's none of that stuff. It's like Deontay Johnson's running a hitch over here and George Pickens running a go route over here. And they're on opposite sides of the field. And the guy in the slots may be running like a quick little drag route. It, there's nothing it's doing nothing for you it's 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 pointless the motion just for motion's sake not motioning to open right. something up it just all was nothing like at least again the results weren't always great in Arthur Smith's offense certainly with the Falcons but it was good in Tennessee but the route concepts work together there is a point to what they're doing there and like and I know as a Steelers fan you've been pissed at like all right, all they do is run out like 11 personnel. I mean, this past year, maybe a little bit less because they had Darnell Washington, who was like a basically a sixth offensive lineman. But you're running out like, again, very static personnel. George Pickens, your ex. Deontay's your flanker. Allen Robinson's your slot. And you have Pat Frymuth as the tight end. Or, or, you know, again, maybe it's Darnell Washington, whatever. Like they ran almost a no 11 person. That was all heavy condensed stuff with um, the, the Atlanta Falcons with Arthur Smith. They were dead last in dropbacks with 11 personnel last year. 86 dropbacks, which is, by the way, insane. 86 dropbacks. San Francisco is 31st in, with 270 in right. terms of dropbacks and 11 personnel. Crazy stuff. But that was because that was the personnel on the team. I think this personnel fits that as well. Like Robinson's not probably going to be on the team next year. Um, Calvin Austin hasn't shown himself to be a big-time target getter. So I think you have two perimeter receivers that are going to be good for you you have multiple tight ends that they can throw at this and like the Steelers should want to establish the run man they should want to be a physical ground game team and that is what they have been really that was what they were successful with last year was being a ground and pound team that fit that identity I think again despite all the weird stuff with Arthur Smith that is the basis of of his offense and again just just to bring back the point about George Pickens Mm -hmm. and like dig routes I've got the route charts pulled up here from 2022. George Pickens in 2022, full Matt Canada offense that year. 7.7% of his routes were a dig route. Slant, 10.7%. You want to look at Drake London from his rookie season? 16.6% of his routes were dig routes. 24.5% of his routes were dig routes. And again, I'm telling you, people have been complaining. The same people who are complaining about Arthur Smith and, and like not getting the ball to, to his playmakers or whatever okay. are complaining about the route concepts for these Pittsburgh Steelers receivers. Deontay Johnson, 9.4% of his routes in 2022 were dig routes. Full Matt Canada offense. Like, we're going to finally see, I think, these guys running routes over the middle of the field. Be Those are the efficient routes that we want mm-hmm. receivers to be running. So, yeah, again, all the weirdness aside with Arthur Smith, I do think this part of it for the receivers actually really fits with what we want to see George Pickens doing um, as that big X receiver who can run over the middle of the field and when he gets into space can make big-time plays. So, 
I just don't. I just want people to think a little more critically about this hire than they have so far. Okay, I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, <clears throat> shocking decisions, by the way, from two coordinators in Ben Johnson and Bobby Slowick. Both those men decided to stay with their teams. Both those guys are probably, along with Mike McDonald, the hottest names in the coaching circuit this year. And to be honest with you, Matt, I thought there was a lot of really good spots for these guys to go to. And they were like, nah, we're not going there. We're not, we're definitely not doing, no one wants to do Washington for some reason. Nobody wants to go to Washington and, and coach the commanders and coach Terry McLaurin. No, they don't want to do that. They don't want to have a high draft pick at quarterback. They just want, <laughs> I don't know what they want to do, but they don't want to play for Washington. They don't want to coach Washington. Uh, but Ben Johnson, Bobby slow going back to Detroit and Houston, respectively, um, I got to be honest with you. I think the entire football world was absolutely shocked that both these dudes decided to stay home. I'm shocked about Ben Johnson. Absolutely. Um, I, I think I've said on this show that I, I had heard, and I think most people assumed that it was going to Washington. Believed that the, the, right. Yeah. Ben Johnson was going to go there. And I feel like some of the reporting that came out yesterday <laughs> was a lot of, uh, Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year tune in as i sit down with my friends some of the biggest names in sports media entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations as you know baseball's been my life it's been in the family for a long time but it's a lot more than that here it's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track join me every week for multiple episodes on the brett boone podcast available on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts all-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of agent work yesterday through the insiders. Let's let's or or team work from Washington. You know, I don't know. Very weird. That whole part of it is very strange. I am definitely shocked by Ben Johnson. I'm not as shocked about Bobby Slowick just because I think he can sort of do what Ben Johnson did last year, which is all right. I'm I'm the hottest candidate on the market last year, or one of the mm-hmm. hottest candidates on the market. If I give myself another year, and by the way, like I think his bet to come back with C.J. Stroud is potentially even better than Ben Johnson's bet to come back with Jared Goff and the Lions. I mean, it ended up working out for Ben Johnson. He could have he could have had a lot of you know, he could have had a lot of jobs for sure if he wanted them. He interviewed at least virtually with a lot of places. Yeah. So he could have had a job if he wanted it. I think Bobby Slowick, he waits a year, he gets more experience as a play caller. Like it's still it's still definitely a risk for these teams to go with a guy that's been a coordinator one year, you know, mm-hmm. who doesn't have a ton of experience. He's a younger guy. There, there's no question that that's a little bit of a risk. So I don't think your stock is any worse for it if you get another year uh, as a coordinator. And I do kind of wonder, though, like, do you think that maybe there's a bit of a changing of this mindset with the, some of these younger offensive play callers because they know how in demand they're likely to be? Um, that, hey... I, I know the saying is it's one of 32 jobs. It's one of 32 jobs. And I think the Washington job is a good job. I, my, that's too. my personal opinion on it. I totally. Think you're not going to get very many like blank slates. You're not going to get very many um, opportunities to just come in and remake a, a franchise really in the image that you want it. So I think this is a good job. But like, do you think there's sort of what we talked about with Arthur Smith? Like sometimes you're not made for the big chair. Sometimes you're just really good at the job you have. And, and Hey, you work for, for Ben Johnson's case and probably for Slowick in Houston with D'Amico Ryan's, you work for a good boss. You're in a good spot. Uh, just why not? Why rock the boat? If you don't have listen, to listen, man, I don't care how nice my boss is. If somebody's going to pay me 10 X of what I am making, I'm gone, dude. What? Is, it's like, no, 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 no. Like, there, there has to be some kind of strategic, you know, maneuvering here. I get it, you know, but I'm just saying like, and, and slow, it got a big raise. Okay. And I don't know what Ben Johnson's raise was, but I'm sure it was chunky too, but still, but still, I mean, maybe in their case, it's not 10 X, but it's certainly like five X, you know? Yeah. So I don't care how nice your working environment is. I don't care how nice your boss is. And again, one of 32, there's a, Look, I know these guys are extremely confident, but there is some risk factor involved too, right? I agree totally. with you 100%. Bobby Slowick, 
you know, coming back with CJ Stroud, psh, let's go. Okay, to the moon. All right, let's go. But but certainly with Ben Johnson, uh, again, he's I think taking them to a certain level. Okay, well, what happens next year if this is a team that that wins ten games and their offense isn't quite as nice as it was this year? Where this year it was it was fantastic, right? Where do you go from here? Has he not like has the Detroit Lions offense has it not peaked? At this point in 2023, in the in the you know the 2023 season, I feel like it has. It's really hard for me to envision this offense getting noticeably better uh, without again without just having a very high draft pick and, and and finding that you know coveted X receiver. That right now there's not a lot on the market, and there's also at that point in the draft probably going to be a little bit of scarcity there too. I don't know. Some of the guys we might talk about a little bit later. There are some. Big boys in this class. Oh, uh, yeah. If you want. A lot of big guys. There, there's a lot of big guys. I'm not sure if they're all going to be X receivers, but I do think that there's some big-time playmakers in this draft. That, you know, we'll see how far they they fall. Um, so you just look at the Lions offense last year. You know, they were eighth uh, in EPA per play. They were seventh in offensive success rate. They were easily a top 10 offense. Oh, yeah. I do think, I do think there is another um, level for this team to jump. It's like, I, I don't want to be the bag on Jared Goff guy. I'm not going to be the bag on Jared Goff guy because, like, Goff is what he is, and, and, and what he is is very good, and he's perfectly fine for, for this system and everything like that. I think there is a level where, like, Jared Goff cannot take you much right. further. Just Exactly. Just, but they can continue to add things around him. I think St. Brown's a guy who will come up for a payday pretty soon. I mean, he drafted in 2021, so one, two, three. Yeah, I mean, he's he's going to be entering the last year of his contract. Like, He's probably up for a big payday soon. Um, eventually, you do have to start kind of thinking about that stuff. These young guys that you've hit on, Brad Holmes, general manager, these young guys that you've hit on, you're going to have to start paying them pretty soon, uh, as, <laughs> as well as potentially paying Jared Goff a bag. So um, can they afford to go out in free agency and, like, if a T Higgins hit, gets to the market, which he probably won't. If uh, if right. a Mike Evans gets to the market, which he probably won't. Could you take yep. a big swing? Would you? Could you even trade like your first round pick for a T Higgins? If if the Bengals want to tag him and then try to trade him, could you maybe do that? But I do think a big perimeter reliable possession X receiver is definitely missing for this team. I mean, I think Josh Reynolds gave them admirable play, but he At also times. probably cost them the game at times in the NFC championship. Exactly, 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 exactly. It's a a huge need, and let's be real. You just need to add depth to that position. Um, I know they had Jamison Williams, and we talked about Jamison Williams potentially being a flop, but he made some big plays in the NFC championship game. So, you know, where do you go from there? But it's just, again, maybe maybe we're hoping for a little bit of development for for Jamison Williams too. Um, But he's going to be a guy. Jamison feels like a guy that's going to, have games like that um, where like he's going to be a guy where I think there, there might, we might struggle to find, and I haven't done the full profile on him. We did talk about him on the show a few months ago, but like where he has these games like this, it's like, man, why don't they get that guy the ball more? And then you watch him run routes. It's like, well, because he doesn't, he's not like, he's not a really refined receiver yet. Yet. Uh, that well, that's definitely true. He's just not I think there my, yet. But. I think my problem is not just the the route running, but it's also the shaky hands. You know, <laughs> it's oh, like yeah. the he's ball also tracking. not uh, the ball tracking the the go up and get it. He's not a go up and get a guy. No. You know, like he's gonna beat you over the top if he can. Um, and you and I have talked about this. You know, you're not fa- you're not really fast. You're not actually fast if you can't actually set up whatever it is you're trying to set up. You know, so. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I think he's going to be throughout his entire career. I think he'll be one of these project guys, you know, splash yeah. play dude that that you're hoping can. And by the way, some of these splash plays, bro, who are they designed by? They're designed by Ben Johnson. You yep. know, another coordinator comes in. Maybe he doesn't make these splash plays. I think there's a extremely high possibility uh, for that to be the case as well. So I don't know. Um, I was really stunned by the by the Ben Johnson thing uh, because he seemingly has the most to lose. Uh, and also him going to Washington is actually, to me, it feels like a crap. I mean, it feels like a great marriage, man. Like you've got, you know, three good wide receivers right there. You've got a high draft pick at, at quarterback coming your way. Almost no expectations on that job either. Right. I mean, you're following Ron Rivera. And it's like, you know, oh, super yeah. uh, it's like dysfunctional, you know, settings and all. It's like look, you've got a long leash there, too. It's not like you're going to get canned after a year or two. 
You know what I mean? So there's, I don't, I was just, oh man, I, I was surprised. Uh, either way, it opens the door. Mike McDonald then obviously became a super hot name and, and he was coming into this process anyways, but he signs a six year deal uh, to go to Seattle. Now I haven't seen any reports as we record here on a Wednesday as to who his offensive coordinator may be. Uh, maybe I missed that somewhere, but Mike no, McDonald defensive coordinator goes to Seattle six year deal. It's a youth movement there uh, for Mike McDonald. They go from like literally the, uh, one of the oldest dudes uh, in the NFL coaching and Pete Carroll to, to now the youngest guy in Mike McDonald, who's just 36 years old. Your thoughts on uh, Big Mike going over to Seattle? <laughs> These guys are getting closer and closer to my age. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, my absolutely. first thought. I'm, I'm getting, uh, getting older, buddy. Um, anyways, I listen, man, Mike McDonald, I think, is great. I, I mean, who knows who's, if he's going to be a good head coach? There's always that, right? But of in course. the prior job that he had, he was an awesome defensive coordinator he was an awesome schemer he was an awesome designer by all accounts he was a great communicator of these ideas that's the thing that's like we kind of try to hold that against play callers at some point where or you know play designers defensive coordinators offense coordinators like ah yeah they had a bunch of good players like uh, they have a bunch of name brand players like veteran players in baltimore to run mike mcdonald's system well, as the guy, you've got to get all of these veterans who have run different systems on board with what you're mm-hmm. doing. And you've got to get buy-in. You've got to get um, these guys committed to doing a lot of high-stress stuff. Like That's what I think is really notable about this Ravens defense was just – we talked about it a couple shows ago – how many coverages they throw at you, how many different right. looks that they throw at you. Well, I think that's great for Seattle, which – Pete Carroll, look, I love Pete Carroll, but I think defensively he had really not had a fastball of late. Yeah. You know, he, he kind of got away from the old cover three, cover one Seattle stuff. Uh, the Legion of Boom days was kind of trying to get into the too high Fangio world. That wasn't really working for him. No. Pulled disaster. back a little bit this disaster, pulled back a little bit this season. That didn't really work either. So I think getting a guy who can run a defense and, and be consistent on that side of the ball is a really good start for Seattle. Of course, a lot of it does come back to who's going to be your offensive coordinator and what are you going to do on that side of the ball, even though that yeah. side of the ball is a little bit more certainly than it is in Washington. Oh, yeah. It's more ready-made, um, obviously, on that side with some of the guys they have there. Oh, listen, on the offensive side, I, I mean, look, the, uh, look, every team needs offensive linemen. It's if, It feels like you could say there's 25 teams right now that need offensive linemen. I get it. But Seattle probably needs offensive linemen more than most, right? But – Quarterback, I'm not saying you're set, but you're set at least for 2024, right? DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, JSN at wide receiver. It's one of the best three-person wide receiver trios in the NFL, right? And then, and then you've got two pretty good backs in Zach Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker um, as well. So it's an offense that doesn't use their tight end, but who knows if that changes, whatever, whatever. But the bottom line is, I mean, from a talent standpoint, Matt, there's <laughs> – I mean, it's going to be really hard to find a, a talent from a talent standpoint, a team that is that deep top to bottom um, when you're taking a, a look across the, the NFL landscape. Okay, now defensively, they need a lot of help because I, I just don't think they've got a lot of playmakers here. I do wonder, and we talk about this at the college level more than the NFL level, but it does, there's some translation here as well. Um, they drafted a lot of guys that Pete thought could fit into a cover three scheme. And Pete obviously had a very, very narrow archetype of player he liked in the secondary. He liked big, tall, you know, rangy corners, physical corners. Like, you know, this is why Richard Sherman, even though he was slow, was a perfect fit for what mm-hmm. Seattle did right and and that's why he went much later in the draft because he didn't have the speed but he certainly had the physicality and the size all right does that fit into what mike mcdonald wants to do and maybe that's a trick question because apparently apparently in baltimore mike mcdonald liked to do everything right so maybe he'll be able to figure this out uh from a talent perspective but i think just him being there to your point elevates the defense 
Uh, you don't have to find that much more magic on the offensive side of the football because I think they're stacked from a talent perspective. Yeah, and they still have the same general manager there too. John Schneider did not get pushed out with Pete Carroll, so that yeah. there's still some connective tissue in terms of how they look at, scout, acquire, and draft players. Um, I do wonder if they end up moving on from Tyler Lockett, uh, who's got a pretty big cap hit this year, and do they want to free up that to look at other positions? You know, Do they want to move JSN into more of a pr- premier role? I think that's definitely on the table. Um, Lockett's certainly a guy that could be on the move. Maybe he follows Shane Waldron to Chicago. They mm. certainly could use uh, some more wide receiver help beyond mm-hmm. uh, DJ Moore there. That would be a pretty nice little tandem. I think Lockett is definitely on the back nine of his career, but probably yeah. can still play a little bit uh, for sure. So I, I don't know. There's definitely some questions up in the air for Seattle's offense too, but primarily, yeah, the, the questions are on defense. And, you know, it is worth asking with Mike McDonald, I think they had a a very, very rare, very special player in Kyle Hamilton, uh, a guy that you could you could have play box safety. You could have him play the deep safety. You could have him be the slot corner and like your big old bigger nickel packages. Um, You wanted to go light nickel. He could play that true safety position. He really was like a a, a chess piece, a steal for the Baltimore Ravens because, oh, he didn't run a fast 40. Uh, Yeah, he ended up being a steal for the Baltimore Ravens in the draft. And and, and man, I I think that that, that's going to be a a little bit difficult without a player like that to replicate some of the the multiple coverage stuff that they did in Baltimore. But still, I do think that McDonald showed he's a guy that that gets it. He and by the way, like. Not for nothing. I don't know how much this matters, but the Shanahan tree offenses really struggled with this defense that Mike McDonald could throw at you. Um, he definitely you know confused the hell out of Brock Purdy, put him right. in some turnover uh, headlocks. You know they they smashed the the Dolphins. I know that the Dolphins struggle at times, uh, you know, with good teams and stuff like that, but they really struggled to do anything offensively against yeah. Baltimore. Now the Rams definitely gave him a little bit of trouble, um, but I do think that that's worth noting. Just a lot of teams have not been able to solve this tree of offensive philosophies here. Mike McDonald has certainly been one of the defensive play callers that could do it. Well, it, it feels like Mike McDonald, and again, I, I don't have like numbers to back this up, but he just loves to take away the middle of the field. You know, yeah. you think about these Shanahan offenses, that's where they attack you, right? Like you, whether we're talking deep overs, dig routes, whatever it might be, but they're going to take, I mean, they're going to attack you in the middle portions of the field. They're going to, they're going to find those seams and they're going to hit you there. You know what I mean? Baltimore, boy, golly. And, I mean, you talk about Kyle Hampton, great. Um, their linebackers, too, were just freaking yeah. fantastic, right, in terms of taking stuff away from the middle of the field. So uh, maybe that's a big part of it, you know, and maybe what you have to do against this style of defense is kind of attack them kind of like old school, like you attack them on the perimeter, you know, like can you find an X receiver? And that's really – Matt, Matt, this is really where it comes, it comes down to. I know we're getting into the weeds here. Is it just me or is there a real dearth of talent in terms of big X receivers in the NFL right now? Like we've got route runners. We got guys that could play inside, outside, do a, do all these different things. And, and like they're finesse guys, like tacticians. And I love it. And I know you love it. But I just feel like when we're looking on the outside, like there's just a complete dearth of like physical Des Bryant style T.O. style, like go go down the field and win this ball in contested situations one-on-one. Uh, yeah, by the way, uh, Baltimore 26th in terms of the 20, you know, so if we're looking at this in terms of best, they were uh, seventh best in terms of adjusted net yards per attempt to the middle of the field. So you're right yeah. that that was really an area that they took away from you defensively. And yeah, I mean, that's definitely kind of... I'm not going to say that the big physical X receiver is a dying breed in the NFL because it's not. Like, we still have some. I mean, Jamar Chase is definitely that guy. Yeah. Um, A.J. Brown is definitely that guy. Although, even those players, they move them around in so many different ways. Like, there's not... Like, I think if you're a, just a static X receiver... Yeah, those days are done. Yeah, those yeah, days those, are done. Those, those days are done. Like you, yeah. you have to be able to play in the slot. You have to be able to be explosive after the catch, like an AJ Brown, like a Jamar Chase, in order to really be maximized. I think as an elite player, we know that the the Cowboys do that with Ceedee Lamb in, in so many different ways. But yeah, I mean, in terms of just true X receivers who aren't like elite guys in the league. I mean, DK Metcalf, um, T. Higgins, like Ayuk is a pure X, you know, but he's 
a guy that isn't really like a traditional big, big hulking X receiver. Mike Evans is obviously still getting it done. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of it, right? Like, I mean, that's, even these guys. That's it. <laughs> I mean, we keep saying for all these teams, Matt, like, oh, they need an X. Detroit needs an X. Like, you know, I mean, like how many of these teams need uh, an X receiver? Like, we love Terry McLaurin. I love Terry McLaurin. I think he's a great player. Top 15 wide receiver in this in the NFL. But again, he's not one of these like big physical, you know, down the field X guys, you know, like if and all, he's he, winning- all he does is play X receiver, though. They have mm-hmm. because he's their best separator. He's their best player against man coverage. All he runs is like on the line of scrimmage and, and outside. Basically, that's it. And it's not the most efficient way to get the ball no. to your to your guy there. So to guy who's no. not. Not a not a tiny little receiver by any means, but is definitely not the biggest. It, and you want to know why? It's because like, well, you're not playing Jahan Dotson at X. You're not playing Curtis Samuel at X. You're not playing Diami Brown at X. What are we a Byron Pringle? We're gonna throw him out at X. I mean, well, Eric Bieniemy would do it, and then probably find a way to, for him to get five targets per game sure. uh, yeah, and yeah, rotate yeah. these guys all around. But yeah, like that's even just down the line. It's, it's a struggle to find these X receivers. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, again, after the guys that we named there, who are the other best, like, non-elite X receivers in the I NFL? Mean, it's like Mike Matt, Williams. Jesus, Jesus Christ. This is why we continue to bring up Devontae Parker's name on this damn show. Because of this situation, there are there aren't that many guys. That's why we keep talking about this dude because he's a throwback and he continues to play that role. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, and he ha- he hasn't been good for like ninety percent of his NFL <laughs> career. Or well, I shouldn't say he hasn't been good. He hasn't been any more than average, average. for ninety percent of yeah, his NFL career. Exactly. Um, it's crazy. And 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 yeah, it's that's why we talk about the Devontae Parker axis of X receivers and listeners. Get your shot glass out because it's it's draft season, baby, and we're gonna be talking about which of these guys are on the Devontae Parker axis of X receivers. Oh, and this goodness. I will say Here this draft are. class, unlike last year, where it was yeah. your Zay Flowers and your Josh Downs and mm-hmm. your um all these types, you know, we're 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 getting some big receivers in this yeah, class for sure. Boys. Uh speaking of, okay, let's start let's start talking about some of these dudes. Okay, so uh Brian Thomas, Keon Coleman, some of these big, bigger hulking dudes that you're talking about, especially Keon Coleman. Uh but Lad McConkey out of Georgia as well. All right, let's let's get a quick sampler on some of these dudes. Uh by the way, uh I'm really looking forward to Matt's breakdown of Roman Wilson, who apparently stole the show. Um, at the Senior Bowl out of Michigan. But let's start with this kid out of LSU, Brian Thomas, 6'4", 205 pounds. So he's a, a little bit of a little bit of a beanpole at 6'4", uh, but 205 pounds. But listen, tall, rangy dude. What did you see from Brian Thomas? As we said with the last time we did this, and if you missed it, go back a few episodes, you'll find the same sort of analysis. Three game samples on Marvin Harrison, Malik Neighbors, uh, and Roma Dunze. Uh, so... As I said then, this is only three-game samples. A full mm-hmm. reception perception sample is eight. I'm not going to give you a lot of the data points here because I think it's kind of unfair. I did drop those in the Discord. You can go into the Discord to see those. Um, but regardless, uh, this is a very early, you-can't-hold-me-accountable type of take uh, here on these receivers. And I will say this just to start it off. I don't think these three guys that I've studied, uh, whether it's Coleman, McConkey, or, mm-hmm. or even Thomas, who I think is probably the highest regarded. Usually I see him fourth after the top three. Yeah. I think there's a clear drop between those top right. three and then down to, to Brian Thomas. So starting with Brian Thomas there, who is a really interesting player, I think he actually fits <laughs> on the Devontae Parker axis of X receiver here somewhere. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't think he's I don't think he's Devontae Parker necessarily, but he was used in a lot of X receiver ways. Lined up in the three game samples that in the three game sample that I charted on the line of scrimmage, sixty one point seven percent, thirty five percent at right wide receiver, forty eight point nine percent at left wide receiver. So he was primarily an outside guy. Um, I think he's solid. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he's a solid man coverage beater. I think he's a pretty good. Uh, Press coverage beater. I got him right around a 73, 74% success rate versus press right now, which is good. The one thing that is worth noting, this guy's route tree is very, very stripped down. Uh, uh-huh. In terms of the three games that I charted right now, 21.3% of his routes were nine routes. 
uh, 25% were curl routes and 24.1% were slant routes. So in total, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in total, that three is, routes. okay. yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's about three routes, man. So in total, those three routes make up 70.4% of the routes that I charted so far. So, um, that's definitely an area of growth and development. However, if we're talking about X receivers, if we're talking yeah. about George Pickens, we're talking about that, that is certainly where he's going to fit into that bucket of player. So it's interesting uh, when you list those three, when you talk about slant, curl, and, and goes, um, basically it's the short, intermediate, and and, and deep downfield, right? So um, not a lot of variety, it sounds like, uh, in regards to his route tree. Um, I could see how the curl, first of all, curl, very important um, when, when you're talking about a deep ball guy. Now, I haven't seen a ton of Brian Thomas. I didn't really get... Uh, the sense that this was a reliable downfield guy, despite the fact that he was six four. Yeah, I think there's some touch and go stuff in contested situations. You know, I've only seen three games, so that's like never something I'm gonna um, hammer the guy for. Like, yeah. oh yeah, bad in contested situations in three games. Super productive though. I think he led the nation in touchdowns with seventeen. Seventeen touchdowns, insane. Yeah, he, only uh, only eleven hundred yards, but seventeen touchdowns. That's insane. I will say, like, actually, I found him more impressive after the catch than I than I thought I would. Um, okay. Like, I'm interested to see where he ends up testing and stuff like that because I think when you can get him on the move, uh, when you can get him on a slant, uh, he beats man coverage. He wins off the line quickly. He can make some plays in the open field. I think that that stood out to me a little bit. He only went down on first contact on 44% of the in-space in uh, attempts that I sampled in this three games. So, yeah, man, he's he's a guy that is interesting in terms of that, like, T. Higgins bucket of player. Um, could he end up becoming that type of perimeter wide receiver and, and kind of more of the classic possession X receiver? I mean, shoot, you know, now that we're talking about it, like he is definitely a guy that I think, I don't know if he's going to fall this far in the draft, but he's a guy that would make sense with the Lions. Uh, as an outside the numbers guy, is he going to be the same big play threat that he was in college? I don't know about that, but like you have a big play guy in Jamison Williams. You have Amon Ross St. Brown, who's your do it, do it all guy. Line up outside, inside. He beats man coverage, zone coverage, whatever. I, I love Amon Ross St. Brown. He's a stud, but you definitely need one more reliable possession receiver. Maybe Brian Thomas, like he could be that type of guy. But again, I don't know if he's going to fall that far in the draft. All right, Keon Coleman, we talk about these hulking dudes. I mean, Keon Coleman is it. Yeah, he's huge. That being said, didn't line up a ton as the X receiver in Florida's offense. You know, in college offenses make it really weird. But 69.9% yeah. of his snaps were behind, like, off the line of scrimmage. 63.6% uh, outside. So you saw him at X. You saw him at flanker a little bit. You even saw him uh, sometimes in the slot. 35.8% of the snaps I sampled uh, in the slot. Yeah, he's a he's a tough evaluation, man, because it doesn't win vertically enough for my tastes, uh, despite being that size. Um, he definitely makes some wow contested catches, but he's got some lapses there as well. I, I definitely have some some separation issues with with Keon Coleman. Um, you know, if we were looking at the numbers where he's at right now, which I don't want to give out here just because, again, it's a three game sample. It would right. be somewhere between that, like 30 third-ish percentile so not terrible but I actually kind of think he would be a guy that would make more sense in like a big slot receiver role than a than an x receiver role um I I almost wonder if he's too big um yeah I no. think he's he doesn't have the same level of um like he's got he's got some athleticism and he's got some like really um big like I like these big receivers that take big strides in the open field and you see that and like eating up ground on slant routes and stuff like mm -hmm. that. That's what's so impressive with Malik neighbors who we're not talking about. It is not as big as these guys, but like he just right. eats up so much ground so quickly. There are times you see with Keon Coleman where he's running routes over the middle of the field where uh, like slant routes and stuff like that, where he can eat up that ground that I almost kind of want to want them to get in the ball faster and see what he can do from a yak perspective. But you know, is he, is he like Traylon Burks ish? Maybe even though they, he doesn't play that same Mickey Mouse role that Traylon Burks did in college, mm -hmm. I could I could see him being a little Burks ish where he's like, I don't really I, I could see you as a big slot, but you end up playing on the perimeter and like it just doesn't really work out. Like which is exactly what I said was going to happen with Burks and and has happened with Burks in the NFL. 
Uh, we go to Georgia, where Lad McConkey is turning a lot of heads at the Senior Bowl as well. I mean, everyone just keeps saying this guy's unguardable at the Senior Bowl, just wide open on every single route. Uh, this is a, you know, slightly undersized, well, I mean, undersized, six feet, 185 pounds. Um, obviously, it profiles as, you know, a route running slot guy. Uh, what did you see here with Lad McConkey? Oh, a, a slightly undersized. Uh... <laughs> Route running, <laughs> white slot receiver tearing up the Senior Bowl practices. Like, I look. I'm gonna. I'm gonna admit my biases right yeah. here. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll admit it. Like, you guys, if you've listened to the podcast, know how I feel about like the. I'm not throwing this player under the bus, but like the Hunter Renfro corollary of receivers. It's like, man, he runs that crispy little whip route, and everybody thinks he's like the best route runner in the NFL. Um, <laughs> Like, okay. And I look, I think Hunter Renfro got a got an unfair, like got a raw deal by Josh yeah, McDaniels and the boys. He like, he's a he good did. player, but let's calm down with like every scrappy white receiver ever is the best route runner in the NFL. Okay, sure. let, let's calm okay. let's okay. calm down with that. So I will admit that like when I see the lad McConkey <laughs> hype going on on Twitter okay. and stuff right. like that, my immediate skeptic my my skepticism is immediately high yeah. just because yeah. of <clears throat> that bias that I have, okay, against this type of receiver. That being said, um, I actually went into him and I <laughs> found... That being said, it's all true? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's okay, not good. all true. Okay, um, good. This all is right. my thing with, like, when we're watching, even if you're there, and look, if you guys are there at the Senior Bowl, you might know better than me, but I'm just saying generally, when you're watching these clips on Twitter or whatever, like, wide receivers are meant to dominate certain one-on-one reps. Like, even one-on-one reps, if we're talking about offensive and defensive line, it's heavily skewed to the offensive side of the football. And like, there are times you're going to be running routes in practice. It just like, it won't translate to an actual, I mean, even a seven on seven situation, just because you actually have other defenders on the field to worry about, not just this one guy that you need to beat in isolation. There's just not like beating man coverage is obviously super important, but um, these situations just aren't fully replicable in games. All that being said, like I do think Lad McConkey shows some real, um, a real ability. Now I don't love the three game sample I got on him, uh, but it is a three game sample. It's just because I know he dealt with a lot of injuries this year, and mm. these were games coming off right away from injury. But man, I love the way he runs outbreaking routes, uh, particularly like out routes, flat routes, uh, routes working from even the X receiver or flanker receiver and when working a guy in man coverage or zone coverage, like I think he sells those vertical routes really well to snap back on out routes. That is the most impressive thing to me that I have seen so far um, in his film. In addition to doing the same sort of stuff, selling that vertical route and coming back on the curl route. You see a lot of that too, even just in the three games that I've looked at so far that almost to me, like, I I don't know what position he ends up playing. Like, Mm. I don't know if he's an outside receiver. I don't know if he's more of a slot guy. Like, I know, I think he said to good friend, uh, Ray Garvin at the senior bowl that he models his game after Cooper cup. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I think that like, I could see him being a Cooper cup type of player just because, and I'm talking, I, when I say Cooper cup, I'm not necessarily talking about like triple crown winner Cooper cup, but like when he was the early days of the McVay, uh, offenses where he was working from the slot as, or as a flanker, almost like a big tight end at times uh-huh. and working those outbreaking routes. There was some, there's some of that, I think in, in Lad McConkey's game, I'm not going to go so far to say I was like, blown away by his route running or anything again it's just three games but yeah i like a lot of what i've seen and i like a lot of that 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 is nfl veteran stuff in terms of the ability to clearly set up defenders sell that vertical route and and work back to the quarterback work to the outside i just want to see more in terms of like where is he going to be at his best is he going to be an inside guy is he going to be an outside guy is he going to be a bit like a puka nakua like you line up all over the place type of guy I, i think there's some some discovery here that I, I I still want to go on a little bit undersized though. I mean, again, even when we're talking about Cooper cup, I, I mean, this is a guy Cooper cup that measured in oh, at six yeah. two, 205 pounds. You know, this is not your, your stereotypical, small, scrappy white slot receiver. Okay. Six two, two Oh five. You know what I mean? When we're talking about Cooper Cup coming out of Eastern Washington, okay? So uh, that's a long way. That's a very long way from Lad McConkey's six feet, 185. You know what I mean? That's a 
big oh, yeah. difference. Two inches and 20 pounds. Oh my goodness. That's a uh, very different. Uh, when we're talking about size here, um, uh, between Ladd McConkey and Cooper cup, uh, I, I'm very interested uh, in this wide receiver group, by the way, Lad McConkey, uh, you know, if you if you're taking a look at the the big boards here, uh, Daniel Jeremiah has him actually ranked 44 out of his top 50, um, and and to me that means something, you know. So mm-hmm. he's seen a lot of Lad McConkey, and he likes what he sees. So uh, there is something, Matt, I think to take away from at least Daniel Jeremiah buying in a, a bit on McConkey. I believe DJ said uh, he's got like 11 receivers in his top 50 or something like that. So That's wild. Um, there's going to be a lot of guys that I think are in that round two range that are going to be coming off the board. And then it'll be really interesting to see where these guys land. Like we always say, man, it just matters so much with like what type yeah. of coach does this player find himself with? Like a like a Lad McConkey or a, I mean, we talk about Keon Coleman. Like I, right now, if I had to... Like, I don't think Keon Coleman's a round one prospect. I think he's more of a round two prospect, sort of similar to what I thought about, like, Quinton Johnston. Like, right. probably more of a round two guy than a round one guy. He goes in round one. Um, and, you know, like, the, the funny thing about Quinton Johnston is if Quinton Johnston had gone to a team um, where they didn't need, like, an X receiver, and, and theoretically the Chargers didn't need an X receiver because they had Mike Williams. Well, Mike right. Williams gets hurt all the time, and then you – Mike and then Quentin Johnson is playing your X. And, like, there was just really nothing on Quentin Johnson's film in college. It indicated, like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be an X receiver, especially year one in the NFL. They're just like, no. But it, maybe had he in another universe, in another alternate reality, gone to a team that could play him off the line, could play him in the slot more often, like, would he have been – I don't know that he would have ever developed into a – and look, his career is not over, obviously, but uh, would he have gotten off to a better start in his rookie season? Would he be, in terms of right now where he is, like one of the all-time worst reception-perception rookie seasons ever? <laughs> like that That is a real thing, though, to think about. Like uh-huh. had he gone to a place that would have utilized him in a different way, like maybe his career turns out uh, or at least starts out completely differently, and, and that's the same thing for these guys like a – like a Keon Coleman too, right? Like where is he going to go? Does he go to a coach that sees him differently? Like I, I kind of think there's a little bit of a comparison there, not necessarily like skill set wise. Like I actually think, I think Quentin Johnson had a much, um, much better skill set in college maybe potentially, but uh, especially in terms of um, separating, but only against certain type of coverages, not the type of coverage he was going to see as an X receiver in the NFL. So this is when we're talking about prospects and like, especially when we have so many guys that are potentially like in DJ's top 50 that are going to go in that like second round range where they end up going and the coach that they end up going to like undeniably that just makes such a big difference. Yeah. Coach role personnel, you know, how many, you know, uh, uh, how many veterans are, are in front of this guy? How many people does he need to be out in terms of the depth chart? Um, it's yeah. It, football's so interesting because it's just so many moving pieces, man. Uh, the chess game is real. The chess game is real. All right, so there you go. Um, that's the show. Uh, but again, we got the Super Bowl coming around the corner here. We're gonna be making some Super Bowl predictions. Be breaking these things down. We'll be talking about some of the top wide receivers in the game. Who, who does Matt see as a special, special player? Uh, which, by the way, is really funny. Anytime we put pump out any of these videos. I could go out there and say, oh, these guys are good. And the fan base gets mad because they're like, well, you didn't say he's great. So F you. <laughs> it's like, well, oh, okay, my bad. <laughs> but who is elite? Who is special? Who graduate uh, into superstar status? We're going to be talking about that next week as well. All right, but we got to get out of here, man. For Matt Harmon, I'm James Coe. We'll see you. And remember, it's never too late to chase your dreams. Peace. Peace.